Hey guys, DJ here. This is a disclaimer. Applied Materials is a 100% non-profit, fan-made project set within the Orpheus Protocol game system. The Orpheus Protocol is an actual play podcast and tabletop role-playing game system created by Rob Stith and published by Varkalak Press. If you would like to know more, please check out the main podcast at www.orpheusprotocol.com and patreon.com slash orpheusprotocol if you'd like to show more support for the main podcast. Thank you for your time and please enjoy the following episode. Welcome to Applied Materials, an Orpheus Protocol fan server production. My name is DJ and I will be your host for tonight. Joining me on our journey into the unknown are Yorin as Seshi Kush, Renee as Mara Vanalore, Laurie as Erky Lindstrom. Tonight's episode, Lost Sheep, Part 4. Lost Sheep contains violence, startling discoveries, cruel war games, and a brush with death too soon. Consider this your warning. Previously on Lost Sheep, the dog walkers engage in combat with the mountain of a man, successfully terminating him before he can harm them any further. But with Black Steel forces closing in around a crash site, the American agents are forced to go deeper into the mine. During a moment of respite, Kristoff reveals that a facility exists underneath the pit and that he used to work there as an employee of Applied Materials. Okay, so where we last left off, you had just found the Americans that survived the plane crash. You stuffed them into the back of your van, van truck, and now you are heading back to the hospital. The curtain rises on your truck pulling into the same cargo bay of the hospital. Mara, here in the back of the truck, the walls perforated by bullet holes. Elias has now joined Axel in the realm of unconsciousness. Both of them are passed out due to their injuries and blood loss. And the scene that greets Seshi and Erki as you open up the back doors of the truck is Mara essentially looking over these two unconscious men. Axel is still on the stretcher and Elias is seated against the side of the truck and he has passed out and is now slumped on the floor. I assume at some point one of you would have called JP to inform him that you've picked up the survivors and are now heading back to the hospital. I think we did that, yeah. So as you, as two of you pull the stretcher containing Axel out of the back of the truck, the doors to the cargo bay fly open and you see two Russian soldiers and JP as they secure quickly, as they quickly secure the area and then move to assist in carrying Axel and Elias back upstairs. The Russian soldiers take over carrying the makeshift stretcher, leaving one of you, or, or two of you perhaps, to carry Elias's unconscious form upstairs. JP, ha- uh, JP looks over both of them very briefly and he says, well, they are in comparatively better state than I thought they would be. Did they share anything with you before... I assume one of I assume they must have been unconscious when you found them, right? Well, Elias was awake when we when I found him, and then passed out in the van. So yeah, we 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 managed to catch up just a little bit, but we didn't really focus on anything. 
Right. Well, I suppose you should get him upstairs for proper treatment, as a very least. You should help me get Elias upstairs. And then once we get them situated, Dr. Volkov needs you downstairs. I will be joining you down there as well. He appears to have finished a portion of his research and wants to share his findings with us. Sounds good. So who is going to carry Elias? Sashi will look over to Eriki and say, huh? Eriki shrugs his shoulders and takes a look at JP and asks that if you can help me a bit, that might make it easier. Sure, sure, of course. Uh, so I'd like you to now make a mic check with your vitality. We, what we can say is that Sashi sees Eriki struggle and it's like, oh, fine, I'll do it. And at least try to help. Well, my vitality is two, and that's a minus two on the die, so... <laughs> no! Yeah, I, I, I think in the back of her head um, that Sashi might feel Mara's eyes rolling. I think what happens is that when Erki tries to, like, help Elias, like, or, or like, support Elias with his shoulders, he, like, somehow stumbles in the back of the van and just falls face down on the back of the van and curses a lot in Finnish. Oh, wait, leave it to me. I, I rolled a five. So JP, he goes for, essentially, what, what he's trying to do is carry Elias without messing too much with his injuries because as a medical professional, JP knows that, I mean, like he, he explains that as a medical professional, you don't want to jostle a... An, uh, an injured casualty like this too much because you don't know whether or not they have any spinal injuries. So he commends you on the fact that you guys managed to construct a stretcher for Axel, which is pretty pretty spot-on thinking, and laments the fact that they don't have enough materials to make a second one for Elias. So instead, as he watches Erki struggle to lift Elias by the legs, he goes over to a corner of the cargo bay and finds a sturdy enough pallet. He drags it over to the back of the truck and says, okay, this might not be a stretcher, but it should help at least. Help me get him on the pallet and we'll get move him upstairs. Is Seshi going to help? Yeah, Seshi will join in and help. So with everyone's help, you load Elias onto one of these pallets and you and you take your time to haul these two men up the stairs towards the safe area on the fourth floor where you all were. It takes you a couple of minutes. You want to take your time because unlike Axel, Elias isn't strapped to the pallet at all. But you do manage to make your way back up there with JP's help. It takes you a couple more minutes and we cut to Elias and Axel into hospital beds. JP appears to be looking them over along with one of the other Russian healthcare workers that you saw a while ago. Satisfied with his work, JP walks over to the three of you and says, right, well, right, I think they're in safe hands. Well, we should probably head downstairs and join Dr. Volkov. Should I run ahead? I don't think so. The, the route that you took has been secured by the other soldiers. We shouldn't face any resistance when we go back down there. And judging from the tone of his voice, I assume that Dr. Volkov has made some serious discoveries, or at very least has some better news for us. JP leads the way as JP leads the way as the three of you head downstairs. A couple minutes you end up in the same lab that you left Dr. Volkov in, nearer to the start of the mission. As you approach the lab, JP sort of taps a knuckle on the 
what remains of some of the glass windows. Dr. Volkov looks up from his work at the computer console, the Erkifixed, and he ushers the four of you in. The two Russian soldiers that you left there are still there. They're still keeping guard, standing watch over the door. One of them opens the door for you as the four of you approach. And Dr. Volkov says, Excellent, excellent. I have made a little bit of progress in researching the samples that you brought me since you left. But some of these tests require a little bit of expertise. I do not know how much medical biochemistry knowledge that the three of you have, but any, any help would be appreciated. These are gestures to the console. I have some of these samples analyzing now. Some of them are finished, but the results and some of the other stakes. Well, I have been cross-referencing them with... I have been cross-referencing the results of these analyses with some of Dr. Rubinov's notes, and some of these things do not quite make sense, at least. I do not understand the context in which he was talking about some of these notes. I do not know how much background knowledge of these topics you have, but if you could help me make sense of these strange ramblings, it would be appreciated. And JP says, well, I'm not exactly an expert in xenobiology or occult studies, but I'll see what I can do. And he can... If there's some Eldritch stuff in there, I could look it up for you. Yes, I was about to ask that, actually. If there's anything, anything the three of you know regarding the occult or any sort of Eldritch stuff that is related to biology, now would be the time to call on that knowledge. I have done some research in the, into the occult. I've done some research in, into Eldritch stuff, so... I know the regular, I know the base biology of a person. Yeah, both Eldritch and especially occult are very well known to me. Eric shakes his head and says, I only have experience with uh, computers and non-living things, so I don't think I would be much help here. JP nods and then he looks to Mara and Sashi and says, right, well, any sort of information that the two of you can provide now will be the time. And I would like the two of you to make a collaborative check using any of these skills that I'm about to list to you. All of these skill checks require the use of cognition. If you have medicine, knowledge occult, or knowledge biology, you can use those in this collaborative check. And of course, uh, JP and Dr. Volkov will also be rolling. Knowledge occult it is. I uh, used my reroll to get a plus two on the dice, and I will use my three temporary strength. To get it up to a nine. Don't go ahead too far because we have this is a collaborative one. But I rolled a plus two on the dice. Uh, I have a rank four, so I don't have the temporary strain. That plus two with the three makes a five. To get a little closer to you, I will spend the remaining of my mental strain, which was two. And that brings it up to a seven. That's the closest I can get. Yeah, so that's a nine and a seven. Okay, so JP and Dr. Volkov rolled particularly well. They both got a nine as well. So that rounds out to a grand total of plus three to the overall check, which makes that a 12. So the scene goes a little something like this. Dr. Volkov pulls a stack of papers from his satchel, spreads it out on the counter next to the console, and the four of you essentially surround the table, pouring over these notes, comparing it to the readouts that are on the computer screen, 
you discuss among yourselves what some things mean, what other things might mean. And after what feels like hours of analyzing readouts, notes, and charts, you come to the realization as a group that this virus appears to have been some sort of genetic hybrid of human DNA and DNA from the cordyceps fungus, which is really strange. JP explains that the cordyceps fungus is a natural growing type of fungus that takes over the brains of ants, turns them into zombies, basically. But what else is a bit more intriguing? There appears to be a third strain of DNA, a sequence within this virus that is as of yet still unidentified. And Dr. Volkov has been trying to identify it over the last few minutes, hours, however long it's been since you left to go and get the survivors. Most likely an hour or two, I would say. And so far, he has come up with Jack Squat. It doesn't appear to be a strain of DNA or a sequence of DNA that is recognizable as a species of plant or animal or something thereof. On in the known universe, as of right now. And as the four of you sort of figure that out, Dr. Volkov kind of exchanges glances with the three of you and says, uh, pardon me, but the idea just got into my head. JP, you told me earlier that there were survivors from the plane crash, yes? And JP nods and says, yes, yes, there were two of them, office agents. Dr. Volkov kind of rubs his chin and asks, do you think it would be remiss of me to ask of you if you could get tissue samples from the two of them? JP says, Well, you know, that makes sense. They were pretty much at ground zero for the outbreak, which was a plane crash site. Yeah, yeah. Then maybe that virus might be incubating inside of them. It's dormant, perhaps. Or maybe they, or maybe something within their bodies are immune, makes them immune to such things. Because, as I've come to learn, well, they are like our friend Seshi here. And he gestures to you, Seshi, in the fact that, well, you are not entirely human. Eric takes a look at the soldiers in the room to see how they are reacting to this. To see if they actually have an understanding of the English language or not. Why don't you roll me an empathy check with your charisma? My charisma is so low. Too bad. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's much better with the re-roll. The, with the re-roll, that's the plus two. And I guess I'm... So that would pump it up with a charisma to a four. So I guess I'm going to use... Uh, let's use two strain to pump it up to a uh, six. Yeah. You've not really been tuning into the conversation that's been going on over the last couple of minutes. You've been sitting in a corner fiddling with your phone and sort of ruminating on the fact that you are stuck in a city full of zombies. As the discussion reaches its current point, you look up from your phone and you see the two Russian soldiers exchanging glances with one another. Their backs are to the group and to you because they are busy keeping watch in case the noise attracts more zombies. But one of them appears to be furtively glancing back at the group and then mumbling something to his buddy 
you can't quite tell what they're saying because over the general hubbub of the already ongoing conversation, it's very hard to hear someone who is mumbling or whispering. But it appeared to be talking about something. Eric doesn't know any Russian, so he's just gonna stare at the soldier who like looked back then in the kind of way like that we we are or at least he's trying to get the point across that we are currently right now in the same site, so this is not like the time to <laughs> point guns at others, even if they are not human. But he's, he, he's just, I mean, he can't really say that to them, you know, obviously. But like, yeah, he's going to stare at the soldier like, don't do anything stupid in that kind of a way. The, the soldier in question catches your gaze and reads the intention and takes two steps away from his buddy and resumes watching the hallways. I return to watching my phone and doing whatever I'm doing on it, but I'm also every now and then giving like glances to the soldiers to see if they are like looking back or if they're like trying to if if they have like handguns on their like belts, like like if they are trying to reach for those. So yeah, I'm just going to fiddle with my phone a bit more and every now and then I'm going to give the soldiers a glance to see what they are doing. JP says, well, I suppose we could go upstairs and quickly get some samples from them. Actually, hold on a second. And he keys the microphone that's on his combat vest. He speaks in, in rather halting Russian into the, into the radio. Uh, Seshi, you hear under Dr. Volkov's breath, he appears to be chuckling at the Frenchman mangling some Russian. And a couple of minutes pass and a Russian soul, and you, you hear footsteps coming down the hallway. And then you see one of the Russian healthcare workers looks like a nurse being escorted by a soldier. In her hand, she's holding two vials full of blood. Through one of the broken windows, the nurse hands Dr. Volkov the two vials. They exchange some words in Russian. And Dr. Volkov goes back to the console, sticks the two vials into the centrifuge that's nearby, and it starts spinning. And, and he watches as a new readout starts to appear on the computer screen. He goes, excellent, Will. This will take, well, it will take time, unfortunately. Time that we do not have, so I might have to speed up the process and do this sequencing very clumsily, unfortunately. The results that we might get out of these samples might not be completely 100% accurate, but at least we'll have, we'll have something rather than nothing. JP nods and he says, Agreed. Something, as his point, is better than nothing. In the meantime, we should probably start securing our way out. The vehicles are parked outside. We need to make sure that they are safe and secure, that no zombies have snuck up on us. During the interim, I will task I will task some of the Russian soldiers on that, so the three of you do not need to. However, we do need you to head back upstairs and make sure that the civilians make it to the lobby safely, that there are no errant zombies wandering around the hallways. I know the soldiers have already secured the route, but it's better to be safe than sorry. The less we need to do, the better, I think, because I'm starting to feel real tired. I know. It's... Like my focus is just gone. I know, Sashi. I know. Yeah, if it helps. Here. And he hands you a small glass vial of a clear liquid. You uncork the vial and you chug it. Okay, so you, you chug the panacea. Sashi, you 
can get healed for 1d3 plus 1 wounds of your chosen type. I'm not I'm not wounded. And you can also regain 1d3 strain of all types. Yes, please. It tastes mildly of peppermint. Ooh. You feel the alchemical potion work its magic through your body as you feel refreshed and recharged. At least for the moment. And JP says, try not to overstrain yourself. I only have so many of those. She's licking her lips and saying, yeah, I'll try not to. This is tasty, though. Ah, you like it. I was debating on how much peppermint extract to put in, and I figure the tiniest, minuscule dose would would make it so that it tastes just like a little peppermint after dinner mint, you know? At least my breath now no longer smells like blood. Just then, you hear frantic footsteps running down the hallway, followed very shortly by one of the younger Russian soldiers appearing around the corner. He... He thumps his fist on one of the unbroken windows, trying to get your attention. Dr. Volkov and GP look up, and Dr. Volkov motions for the soldier to come in. This young man looks quite tired. He appears to have sprinted all the way here. And as he comes to a stop inside the lab, he doubles over, panting heavily. JP retrieves another small clear vial from his backpack, gives it to the guy. The guy drinks it, and you can see... Sort of the same effect come over him, Sashi. He regains a lot more energy. And he starts conversing with Dr. Volkov in rapid-fire Russian. The conversation is entirely one-sided. Dr. Volkov is sitting there, listening, nodding. And you can see his expression growing more and more grim. When the soldier stops talking, Dr. Volkov looks to JP and says, Well, this is bad. The young man here, he was with the other survivors, looking out along the main boulevard to see if there was anyone approaching. There appeared to be a dozen armed individuals making their way towards the hospital from along the main boulevard, the same way that the three of you came from. Why are people this stupid? <sighs> JP looks at the soldier, looks at the Dr. Volkov, and then asks uh, the doctor, can you ask him what they were wearing? Dr. Volkov does, in Russian and responds with, they were wearing black fatigues. Military, looks like. They were carrying weapons not of Russian make. Friends of yours? Most likely the same group that we encountered, or members of the same organization. We, we did receive a report from the survivors before they passed out that some paramilitaries were in the area. I think without a doubt now that the forces here are indeed Black Steel Industries. JP, JP exchanges a look between the three of you and says, well, that does not leave us with much time. I'm going to have to divert some of the Russian forces to engage these mercenaries. You're going to play with them as your own cane. Meanwhile, I need the three of you to head upstairs and make sure the civilians are ready for evacuation. We are moving that up to now because very shortly, this area is going to get too dangerous and too loud for us to continue working here. He looks at Nazarokov. Do you think that after the battle is over, you will have results that we could use? And Dr. Volkov shrugs. We will see. I make no guarantees. Yep, let's, let's head upstairs. And let's see if we can get everyone to the back of the hospital, so the other side. And then where do you, where do you want to take them, JP? There is We're not really to... anywhere to go. We're taking them back out the way we came. We're bringing them back to the trucks and getting them back to Zarya, the abandoned town where we 
where I gave you all that briefing. The field outpost that was there should still be there. We did not fully take it down and we can use that place as a staging point for evacuation flights out of here by helicopter to a more major city, that is. But the plan right now is for you guys to head upstairs, secure the civilians and pass on the orders to the other Russian soldiers, bring the civilians down to the loading bay. I will have some of our forces grab our vehicles, bring them over to the loading bay. You need to get them in those trucks as fast as you can. And wherever necessary, use force. If these mercenaries engage you, leave none standing. Got it. One more question. We know that there was an explosion at the, uh, at the airplane, at the side of the airplane. Have you heard anything of the dogs? Can they help us out? Yeah, that's the thing. They told me that they had sight. That's the other thing. We talk while we move. And he sort of gestures for the three of you to follow him out of the lab. Dr. Volkov takes the hint, turns around and gets back to work. The two soldiers that's, that are within the lab resume their posts. And, and the other young soldier follows the group as you all head upstairs. While you're in the stairwell, JP says, I received a call from one of the dog workers just a few minutes ago. That explosion was apparently a distraction. The, they have run into more of these paramilitary types at the crash site. They appear to be heavily armed and outnumbered. That was the last I heard from them. With any luck, hopefully they'll be able to get out alive. But if not, <sighs> we might have to leave them here. Well. According to their report, they were rather heavily outnumbered and surrounded. But... At least we do have some hope. They were able to secure an escape route for Agent Krasinski and a small Russian escort force. Krasinski has the two black boxes from the plane. She and some of the other soldiers are heading back to the hospital now. All we have to do is buy them some time to make it back here. Okay, that sounds doable. Just need time. All we need is time. The more we can hold off these, these warmongers, the better. In case it is necessary, we can always buy them time. Agreed. Although I hope that it will not get to that point. First things first, let's get everyone out of here. Yes, let's. The group of you make your way back upstairs and JP gets to work organizing the evacuation of the hospital. He informs some of the Russian soldiers and the other medical professionals to start getting things ready, packing up stuff, keeping supplies in crates and making sure that any casualties are mobile and able to move before tending to those that are still bedbound, including Elias and Axel. As a group of civilians and soldiers alike work to remove the breaks on some of the hospital beds, JP comes back to the three of you and says, Right, this should take a few minutes to get ready, but we need to figure out a way to get these huge hospital beds downstairs. I mean, we, we, we have structures, but it will still take time for us to transport all of the casualties downstairs. Worst comes to worst. We might have to leave some of them here, but she is hoping that we can bring all of them down. Yes? Yes. Erki, can you do me a big favor? Depends on the favor, but I can try. I need you to find a control panel for the elevators to make sure they're working. This is a last resort, but this is the only way we can get this many casualties downstairs in the shortest amount of time. Erki nods and heads off find the nearest elevator control panel of some kind. Why don't you make me an investigation check with your perception, please? Okay. 
That's a plus two on the die, and it was investigation with perception, was it? Yeah, perception. Okay, investigation is two, perception is three, so with a plus two, that's a five. So yeah, I'm going to use one mental strain to pump that up to a, what did I say, uh, six. Yeah. All right. You are accompanied by a single Russian soldier as you break away from the group and head towards the center of the hospital. You are on the fourth floor in the west wing, and you are making your way towards where you would assume the lobby would be. This is where you can see there are a bank of elevators in this very generic-looking lobby area. Essentially, it's a rectangular open space where two hallways branch off in either direction, to the left and to your right, towards wings of the hospital, wards, essentially. And in the center of this rectangular room are two banks of two elevators each. So there are essentially two pairs of elevators, one on the left and one on the right. Near nearby to this lobby area, you find an employees-only door that leads into the service corridors behind the elevators, and you can see that back here are also service elevators and freight elevators as well. You kind of make the assumption that this is where hosp uh, hospital staff and other staff move around without them being seen by patients or, or, uh, or visitors. Mm. You find a control panel that looks like it has power readouts for this floor. There are a bunch of red and green lights displayed over a floor plan of this floor of the hospital. And you very quickly zero in on the section of the hospital where you assume you are. It seems to match the layout of the, the hallways and the elevators that are here. You quickly deduce that the elevators are indeed working. There are two green lights one on an elevator on the left and one on an elevator on the right. The other two are marked with red lights. Do I have an idea of which one of the elevators would be the, if I like activate it or make it operational, like which one would take the least amount of time to get to the floor with the uh, survivors and the nurses on it? Uh, you don't know from here. The This is just the control panel to see which sections of this floor have power, you would have to go back out to the lobby and look at the actual elevator readout to see what floor they're on and then call them. Okay. I think I'm going to do that. And once I walk to the lobby, I will also alert the spirit of Ukko and tell him to, if at all possible, to like slip into the elevator shafts and see if he can, or it can, depending on what we want to call it, uh, if Ukko can like figure out if the elevators are actually empty or if there are actually some zombies stuck in them before I call them in so we don't have to uh, fight any potential threats on the uh, lobby after the doors open. All right. Uh, what rank is your Spirit Guardians at again? That's a Spirit Guardian rank one with Mastery B. So pretty much you can you can set your you can uh, set your vigilance at plus three now. That is plus three to whatever it is your uh, vigilance currently is. Yeah, that's a vigilance of six then. Yep. All right. With a vigilance of six, you make your way back to the lobby and you head towards the bank of elevators. You have a quick look and you determine that one of the elevators is on the sixth floor and the other elevator is on the second floor. You are right smack dab between the two elevators. It would take you the same amount of time to call both of them to your floor. The only problem is you don't know what's in the elevators. As much as you have the spirits of an ancient Finnish god at your side, he can only guard you 
he can only warn you against threats that it can sense. So you know that the elevators are pretty much equidistant from you. What do? Uh, I would like to see if I can somehow open the shaft doors into the elevator shaft and listen for a moment if I can hear like some sounds in the elevator shafts before I actually start like uh, calling them down. All right. I would like you to make a collaborative mic check with your vitality, please. So that's just a normal vitality check for me then. Oh, goody. Ooh, that's a minus two on the die, so that would be a zero. And if I use a strain, I would pump it up to a one, so I guess I'll do that. Well, thankfully, this guy rolled pretty okay. He rolled a three, which rounds out the total check to a four. It takes you a good moment. The two of you pick one set of doors to pry open. The soldier uses the bayonet that is attached to the barrel of his rifle, jams it between the closed doors, and uses the rifle as a lever, just essentially to pry the doors open enough that you can get your fingers in there. Mm -hmm. And then the two of you pull with all of your might, and th you thank your lucky stars that this particular door was not powered. Otherwise, the safety systems would have kicked in and it would have closed on you. And now I would like you to make an awareness check with your perception with a situational plus one, considering that you have your spirit guardian helping you with this. Good thing that my awareness is five, so finally something that I can actually do something with. <laughs> so it was awareness with perception. I'm going to take a plus two in lieu of rolling because I rolled like shit, and I'm going to use the temp strain of that as well. So three temp plus two makes it a five, combined with my perception, pumps it up to a eight. You pry open the doors wide enough that you can stick your head into the elevator shaft to have a little listen. And since it is relatively quiet, you close your eyes, strain your ears. And I would like you to roll a horror check. Oh, goody. As you hear the faint sounds of zombies echoing down the elevator shaft. So, horror check. So that is plus one on the die. My stability is rank four. Yeah, uh, one is trying to ignore negative dice roll on this check. Uh, I think I could use that, maybe. Uh, sure, I'll do that. So that pops it up to a plus two. And with a willpower of four, that is a six. You pass, tending to take two preventable. My wounds are currently all in zero, and I'm running low on strain, so I think I'm going to take this. This was the elevator that was two levels above you. The realization that had you called this elevator down to your level and had it opened in front of a group of survivors, you might have just condemned the entire operation if you had done that as... Uko's spirit drifts down to you and not so subtly informs you that, yes, in fact, there is a crowd of zombies in that elevator, and no, you shouldn't bring it down. Which is exactly why I wanted to open the doors and check the situation to prevent that from happening, so it's a good thing that I did so. So, uh, yeah, I would like to return back to the panel, and uh, if at all possible, I would like to... Uh, was this one of the elevators with the power on as well? Yes. Okay, I would like to... Uh, turn off the power to this elevator and make sure that when the power is turned off that it also stays in its position so it doesn't move until the power is reactivated to it. So that the zombies stay in the elevator where they are right now. I would like you to make a craft hacking check with your cognition 
to rewire this panel to reroute power from this elevator to maybe another one. Meanwhile, Mara and Seshi, I would like the both of you to make a collaborative presence check with your charisma, please. Oh, what are we doing this presence check for? This is to keep the civilians in line and ensure that they don't panic as a staccato burst of gunfire erupts from the street down below. Meanwhile, I got a total of eight with all of the stuff that I used with my rank five of the craft. I am going to set my presence with charisma to a seven. I can still make it higher if necessary, but I don't want to go too far away from uh, Mara. Um, so, yeah, are we assuming that I have my sensory field on? I mean, I usually say so, I didn't now. You can turn your sensory field on after this. Okay, in that case, uh, my uh, my presence is a minus one. So, oh, oh boy, that goes to a minus one on the overall check. But it still runs out to a six, which is fine. As gunfire erupts in the street down below, you and some of the other soldiers get to work to reassuring the civilians, keeping them calm and helping them with whatever it is that they need to do to get out of here. Packing up bags, making sure IV lines are in place and secure, moving some of the casualties to stretchers that the military brought. JP is there as well, and he says, Looks like the troops that I sent downstairs have just engaged the enemy. We do not have much time now. Clock is ticking. And he pulls out his phone, dials a number, Erki, you feel your phone buzz as you have your multi-tool clamped in your mouth. You've pried open this panel and are fiddling around with its guts, cutting wires, stitching wires in different places, experimenting, seeing what what does what, when you feel your phone buzz in your pocket. So if Erki has his multi-tool in his mouth, he's going to take a moment to stop fiddling with the board and take out the phone from his pocket and open it and answer the phone, of course while still holding the multi-tool in his mouth and going, I'm a little bit bliffy over here. And I put the phone on speaker. JP says over the phone, Erki, how is... What is the status on the elevators? Erki uh, takes out the multi-tool from his mouth and puts the speaker on... Uh, <laughs> puts the phone on speaker mode with the, his left hand and continues fiddling with the board on his right hand with now, now with the multi-tool in his hand and goes that... Well, I managed to find out that one of the elevators is full of zombies. We are not using that. I'm going to. I'm currently trying to reroute the power from that elevator so we don't, by accident, call it there or down here. That would be bad. Uh, not sure about the rest of the elevators, though. Uh, don't have the time to really check, seeing as how the uh, situation has apparently uh, evolved a little bit. Um, I'm hoping that the next elevator that I that well, one of the elevators currently has power to it. I'm hoping that it's empty of zombies, but if you have any firepower up there, I suggest that you get ready just in case there are some zombies in that elevator as well, but I really don't have the time to check right now. Right, well, I'll send some soldiers your way. Preparations here for the evacuation are almost complete. Just make sure that by the time that we get there, that you have a working elevator for us. As many of them as you can. The forces downstairs will try and repel the Americans, but no promises. Understood. With an eight, you manage to successfully rewire this board and make it so that because it interfaces with the hospital's power grid directly, you are able to 
hotwire, hotwire, rewire a connection to power up a different elevator. For all of you, the lights in the hospital flicker ever so slightly as Erki does this. Erki, you take a look at the board, which is still connected to the panel, and you see that the elevator, the zombie field elevator that you'd originally heard, the light on it is now red. And instead, one of the other elevators on the right side is now green. So now there are two green lights on the right side. Okay. So we have two working elevators then. Excellent, excellent. Soldiers are already on the way to the lift lobby. Meet them there. Will do. Erki, as you move back out to the lobby with your escort. Erki, as you make your way out to the lobby, you hear the sounds of gunfire erupting in the street below you. And if you go to the window and peer down, you can see these black-clad figures opening fire on the hospital lobby. Along with sporadic puffs of smoke, divots being carved into the asphalt around them, as presumably the Russian soldiers downstairs are also returning fire. This appears to be a pitched gun battle as the American paramilitaries are slowly advancing towards the hospital. They are using cover in the form of crashed vehicles in the street, trees, lampposts. Some of them are laying prone behind the curb or the road dividers, opening fire on the Russians, slowly moving forward. But they are also not without casualties. You can see that there is at least one black figure down there that is sprawled out on the road, a growing pool of blood blossoming around the slowly cooling corpse. It does right now look like a war zone. Okay. Oh, luck for me, please. That's a plus one on the die. As you are as you are watching this conflict, the Russian soldier next to you has joined you in peering down at presumably his comrades fighting against these Americans. This guy is fairly middle-aged and he kind of nudges you with his elbow and says in rather in startlingly good English, I suppose it's a good thing that we are not down there, huh? I suppose so. Situation might change, though. Keep an eye out on the elevators, and once the rest of uh, the soldiers that have been assigned here arrive here, uh, tell them to uh, aim at the elevator, just in case the elevators that I call here are actually filled with zombies. Of course. Noted. Let's hope that the situation changes for the better. Mm -hmm. And then you see the glass crack as... Something strikes this guy in the chest. He stumbles backwards and falls on his ass on the floor as a crimson flower starts to bloom on his chest. This has been Applied Materials. Thank you very much for listening. And thank you to Yoreen for playing Sashi Kush, Renee for playing Mara Vanalor, Laurie for playing Erky Lindstrom. Do follow the show at Applied Mats on Twitter to keep up with the podcast, and I will see you the next episode. Good night. Next time on Lost Sheep. The harsh reality of the situation rears its ugly head as Coalhearts continue their evacuation of the hospital. With their enemies so close behind them, the Orpheus agents must push themselves to save as many as they can before time runs out.